Hi there, and welcome to the Wayback Music Machine podcast, the show that takes a lighthearted look at the week that was in rock and roll history. And you never know, you might just learn something new along the way as well. How are you doing, Aaron? I'm doing pretty all right. How are you doing? I am doing great as well, and I think we've got a pretty funny episode lined up here. These are the oddest collection of stories I think we've run across yet. I know, and it's a jam-packed show. We don't usually do this many stories, but this was a good week. There's a lot going on. Yeah, and I would suggest, I think, for the first segment, people probably want to have their headphones on, maybe, instead of their Alexa speaker. That's just a, just a hint for people. <laughs> you never know. You, you never, never know. know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, shall we get to it? Absolutely. It's a new year, and it's a brand new Wayback Music Machine. CD player? Check. GPS. Double check. Roll bar. They're on the way. I'm Tony Stewart. I'm Aaron Badgley. And we're getting ready for another rock and roll road trip. Are you ready, my friend? I'm always ready. Well, in that case, buckle up because it's road trip time. We're recording this on what might be the most romantic day of the year. That is St. Valentine's Day. And I just want to wish you and Cynthia a very happy St. Valentine's Day. Well, right back at you and Andrea. So, you know, it might be fun to talk about our wedding songs because we've both been married around the same time. Um, Mm -hmm. I was married in August of 91. What about you? May of 93. Oh, okay. So I'm going to give you a couple of guesses. What do you think my wedding song was? It was everybody's wedding song in the summer of 91. That's a huge hint. I'm going to go with the Canadian guy named Brian Adams and um, the song from Robin Hood, which was Everything I Do, I Do It For You. And you win the prize because that is our <laughs> wedding song. It's a great song. I mean, I know everyone used it, but it's a wonderful. I used to DJ those years and I remember playing that for a lot of weddings. You know? No, it's a great song. And uh, what about you? What was your wedding song? So we went a bit odd. We went for a, an eight minute prog rock epic called Autumn by the Straubs, which is a beautiful song. That's a fantastic um, song, yeah. Great song. And my in-laws didn't like it, but yeah, they didn't like me either, so what can you do? (laughs) (laughs) Now, we are going to segue from talking about romantic love to talking about private parts, um, which is an interesting little segue, but we have to go to February the 15th, 2013, to Silicon Valley, just outside of San Francisco, and... Maybe, just maybe, the oddest story we've ever talked about on this show. What do you think? I think it's up in the top five. <laughs> it's got to be for sure. So let's head, uh, let's head back there and uh, we'll see what happened. Here we are on February the 15th, 2013, and... Aaron, what do you think of when you think of Chubby Checker? Chicken. No. Um, <laughs> there used to be a place in Whitby called Chubby Checker Chicken. Oh, okay. See, see, so that's why I went with Chicken. Hey, you know what? I, I When I think of Chubby Checker, I think of the twist and um, the twist. And then sometimes I think of the twist. Now, that's right. And that defined his entire career. We'll talk about that yes, in a did. little while. Yep. Now, I wonder if there was a copyright infringement case against the Chubby Checker Chicken that's a bit of alliteration there. That's a mouthful. 
because I don't know. There should have been. There should have been. I'll tell you right now. Yeah, there should. But have he been. did sue about something else, right? He did on this day, and uh, February fifteenth, two thousand and thirteen, he launched a massive lawsuit against Hewlett Packard. That's why we're in Silicon Valley here. They had an app on their phones, and I don't even know if I can say this without laughing. So they had an app for their phones and tablets. It was blatantly named after the uh, then 71-year-old musician, and the app was called The Chubby Checker, and it was an app for measuring a man's penis size. And basically the whole premise of the app is you enter the man's shoe size and it'll tell you how long his penis is. So, I mean, I think, you know, I'm size 10, so I, I don't know what that would say about me, but... Well, uh, you know, Tony, I think it's important to, to remember something, and that is, remember, big feet, big shoes. So... <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering where you're going with that one. <laughs> yes, I know you were. <laughs> oh, poor, poor Jimmy. You know what? This, this lawsuit's almost as funny as when Little Richard sued Disney. For having Donald Duck singing, um, what what, uh, Good Golly Miss Molly or whatever song it was they sang, and he didn't like his voice coming out of Donald Duck's mouth. But. Oh boy! So this uh, oh. the app was called the Chubby Checker, and of course, uh, it's a funny name. I got to tell you, it's a funny name. Oh, it's hilarious! Absolutely hilarious! Especially, you know, I don't know. I it doesn't matter how old you get, but penis jokes and fart jokes never get old, really. I, I, I know, no. No, and it was only 99 cents, so what are you going to get for 99 cents? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Now, uh, here's the thing. I mean, he sued for a huge amount of money, but um, this app, it was on, HP had an an operating system called the Palm OS, which was a precursor (laughs) to... Oh my God, I just got that. (laughs) It just just keeps getting worse, Tony. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my goodness and oh. uh, that was a precursor to the iphone this app cost 99 cents but it was only actually downloaded a grand total of 84 times but uh, he sued he actually sued for half a billion dollars can you believe that half a billion he uh and well, he you're gonna go go big <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I can't help it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, so, I can't, I can't. No, it got settled out of court, though, and uh, they had to discontinue the app, and they pulled the app and stopped using the name. But uh, let's, take a, <laughs> let's take a minute, though. Uh, let's bring it back to, uh, you know, safe for they work They pulled here. the app, did they? <laughs> <laughs> I was, I'll stop, I promise. Yeah, I'll I was going to say stop. something about pulling out, but I'm not going to say yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, that's what she said. You know, I mean, I'll just stop now. <laughs> So let's talk about Chubby Checker, though, because <laughs> he he's worth talking about. His real name. Now, here's, okay, we've got the bell sound effect. Here's something that people may not have known. So this is number one. His real name was Ernest Evans, and he's still with us. He's 80 years old now. I saw him perform out in Vancouver. My wife and I were in Vancouver, and we were at the P&E, and we saw him do a show. It was great. This is, not, this is like 20 years ago, but it was great. So his... Uh, Huge hit, of course, was the twist, and then let's twist again. And he actually thought that that was a blessing and a curse, of course, because financially it was a blessing. But he felt like it was a real curse as well, because he felt he like he got typecast as a as a dance artist for the rest of his life, and and he really 
thought he had a lot more to offer than that. He supposedly was a fantastic uh, mimic. You know, he had could mimic just about anybody, and that's how we first got discovered. But uh, the twist was what he was known for his whole life, and really, when you think Chubby Checker, that's what you think about, right? So. And he set a record with the twist, though. He should be proud of himself that he has the only song ever to go number one in two different years. Isn't that amazing? So it hit number one in September 1960, and then in January 62, it goes to number one again. I mean, that's like that's pretty remarkable. Yeah, that's very remarkable. And that actually leads me to cool fact number two. So here's the bell. I had no idea about this. I'm not sure if you did, but the twist was a cover. It wasn't Chubby Checker's original song. It was originally written and recorded by Hank Ballard in 1959. It was Hank Ballard and the Midnighters, and it went to number 16 on the R&B charts, so it did okay. But it wasn't until he released his version that it, you know, straight to number one, and, and uh, I had no idea. Well, see, I, I, I did, only because, you know, um, Hank Ballard's kind of a favorite of the Beatles. And uh, thank you, Fab Four, for introducing me to a lot of kind of lesser-known R&B artists. But uh, it's a cool fact. And, and and unfortunately, they give a lot of credit to Mr. Dick Clark and his American Bandstand appearance to, to the twist going to number one. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's true or not, but I like Let's Twist Again more, to be honest with you. Yeah, I do too. Now, I watched the uh, Dick Clark appearance. And um, you know what struck me about American Bandstand? And, and I mean, I understand it's, you know... 1960 or whatever and yeah that audience is, is as white as wonder bread you know what i mean like like there's not a not a black person in the audience it's kind of sad isn't it yeah it is it wasn't until i think dick became a bit more multicultural in the 80s no just kidding um it was much earlier on the like it's later on that it became a mixed crowd right and that's the movie um oh, hairspray it's kind of about that if oh, you watch okay. the movie hairspray it, it's about the yeah, about mixing the crowd for a dance show on TV. They don't call it American Bandstand, but they may as well, you know? Yeah, well, and you know what? Alan Freed, right? All the power to him. He was not afraid to mix no. during his shows, you know? So that's why I, I think his legacy is so important as well. Yeah, I think to Clark, um, he has a lot to answer for. That's well, all I'm going to say. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> now, you picked a really interesting chart this time. We've never done this one. What'd you pick? I know. You see, I try to keep, I try to stir it up a bit, you know, I like to mix it up a wee bit. So I did the five top, the top five dance songs of that, of, of this week in 2013 on Billboard's dance charts. Here, okay, here's a, here's a, here's a fact for you. What artist has had the most top 10 dance hits on the Billboard dance charts? Oh, so is it someone like Donna Summer? Or? Yoko Ono. Really? Yeah, she, in the in the two thousands, she remixed all of her songs, and she had eight number ones. Oh wow, Yoko! Just saying. That's just that's really really cool. I I think I'll yeah. ring the bell for that one. So here we go. <laughs> two. That's two. I think that's three um, actually. Yeah. Three. Yeah. Okay. Top five. Top five is uh, Icona Pop featuring Charlie with I Love It. Number four. You must know this song because you're a teacher. I'm sure every kid was doing this. Um, oh yeah. Gangnam Style by Psy. Yep. Or PSY. Calvin Harris featuring Florence Welch is number three with Sweet Nothing, which kind of sums up the song. Number two, um, Swedish House Mafia. Swedish House Mafia featuring John Martin. Love the name. Don't You Worry, Child. Child. And number one was uh, 
Well, I guess she's a physicist, right? Yes, um, that's right. Semiconductor <laughs> physics expert. That's right. <laughs> Britney Spears and Will I Am with Scream and Shout, which I don't know, maybe it goes to the Chevy Checker app. I don't know. Yeah, I have a little guilty pleasure, I have to admit here. Uh, I'm a Black Eyed Peas fan, just saying. Oh, it's some great stuff. I don't, I mean, I like Will I Am. I think there, there's some soundtracks he's done which are absolutely astounding. Really good. There, there's a bit more to his music than Gangnam Style, just saying. No, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Well, I don't know about you, but I feel like a little break here. So why don't we take a break and we'll be right back with our next story. We're going to February 16th, 1991. And uh, I'm assuming we're going to London for this one, but... Uh, yeah, what? let's go to London. Just why not, right? Okay, sounds good. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Stella Panacci. And I'm Bernard Fraser from... From Church, Church of Trees. And you're listening to Way Back... Music Machine Podcast with Tony Stewart and Aaron Badgley. Hey, guys. You know, Tony, in the history of music, rock and roll especially, only two cartoon characters had a number one single. The first one was The Archies back in 1969 with Sugar Sugar by Canadian Andy Kim. Do you know who the second one was? Well, I do because we're both big fans of the show. It was Yes, uh, we are. <laughs> it was Bart Simpson. Do the Bartman, um, which came from the first Simpsons album. Uh, Simpsons were, were a TV show that started actually as a as little shorts for the Tracy Allman show. Became so widely popular that they became their own half an hour comedy in 1989. And little known fact is that Matt Groening, who did it, who based the family Simpsons on his own family, changed his name from Matt to Bart, but all the other names are not changed of his family and he chose the word Simpson because it was close to simpleton <laughs> <laughs> but um, so it was inevitable by 91 they're gonna put an album out and now here's what people might not know is the song do the Bartman was actually written by Michael Jackson yeah and you know what I thought was cool about this is that they didn't reach out to MJ MJ actually called them and said, I love your show. I want to write a song for you guys. I mean, how do you say no to that? Well, he didn't receive credit. No, like he, that's if you look right. At the label, and he, he also did a voice on The Simpsons where he played a guy who was in a mental hospital who thought that he was Michael Jackson, but wasn't. And he did a voice and he wasn't credited on that episode either. No. So he was just such a fan of the show that he thought he'd... Uh, you know, write a song for the show and not get credit for it. I think that is, uh, that's brilliant. I do too. Do you remember that song? Do the Bartman? Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a good song too. It's catchy and uh, hilarious. The whole sketch, right? Where he's, uh, you know, uh, at the talent show or whatever, and he's hiding at the back there and he's like, me, wait, I want it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. My, I, I, I think, I think my favorite Simpsons line of all time was on their 10th wedding anniversary and their fridge broke down and Homer and Marge are driving to buy to a farm to find a used motor for their fridge. It's raining and they're miserable and Marge says, homie, when we got married 10 years ago, is this how you pictured our life? And Homer says, to be honest, I thought I'd be dead by now. <laughs> <laughs> great line. How do, you, no, how do you come up with that line? No, I know. No kidding. Eh? And Oh, great line. So... It's still going. The Simpsons is still going. Well over seven hundred episodes now, and and I don't know. Can you can you ever cancel that show? Like even if ratings were down, I don't I don't know. You know, I will 
protest. I will get a truck and go down to LA if they ever do, because um, no, they can't. They cannot. They cannot do it. So, so the album called Simpson Sings the Blues was actually a big album, number three on Billboard. Oh wow! And sold double double platinum, Tony. That's two million copies sold in America. <laughs> Their second. Have you ever seen the cover of the Yellow album? Uh, yeah, yeah. Sergeant <laughs> Sergeant Pepper. Very cool. <laughs> Very cool. Hey, do you know who? Do you know they've had a lot of musical guests on the show? Do you know who was on the show and did songs and sang and voices? Well, I know. I mean, U two has been on there, right? Yep. MJ, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about in a previous episode about Paul McCartney being on there. Yep. Uh, Tony Bennett, right, has been on there. Capital City theme song. Yeah. <laughs> now, who else? Who am I missing here? Uh, well, you know the uh, Tom Petty, BB King, yes, BB Weird Al Yankovic. John Mellencamp. Now, you know what? Speaking of Weird Al, guess what I ran across the other day? I ran across a bunch of old radio commercials that Weird Al had done during his campus radio days. Really? Yeah, I'll have to send that to you. It was very, very cool because he wasn't really Weird Al yet, right? So he's reading in a more serious voice. But Seriously? Yeah, yeah. You can tell it's in those. Yeah. I got to hear those. Please send that. I want to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Please. Very, very neat. Yeah. He's talking about like a bike rally that's coming up, like just super boring stuff, you know. <laughs> but, uh, Is he doing it straight? Yeah. Yeah. Totally straight. Oh, I got to hear that. Yeah. I love I love stuff like that. So yeah, send it along links. Yeah, be cool. I, I will. Now, what uh, charts did you pick for this week? Well, I figured number one in England was was do the barman. So I thought, you know what? I'll look at what was number one in America. Okay. And uh, it was also kind of a cartoon. No, just kidding, folks. Yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just, just my humor. Uh, so we're looking at the top five Billboard singles charts for uh, February sixteenth, nineteen ninety-one. We had Mariah. Oh, sorry, Mariah she, Carey. She who shall not be named. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, some kind of song called "Someday" at number five. I'm gonna. I'm drawing a blank on this song, Tony. I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't even recognize the group or the, the song. Surface. And the first time. Yeah, I don't think I recognize that either. No. Timmy T with One More Try. I remember that one. I do too. Whitney Houston, All the Man I Need. Yep, I remember that one. And number one, the, I don't know what to say, classic, which which should have fallen into the Millie Vanilli care um, because it, the vocals were not who you saw in the video. CNC Music, CNC Factory with Gonna Make You Sweat. Oh, okay. Well, I remember the song, but yeah, you're right. They they should have had the same fate as Millie Vanilli. I, I wonder why that didn't happen. I don't know, but it was a different. They they had the, the the woman who did the vocals was not the woman in the video. Just saying. Now this has been uh, great, but I think I'm ready for a breather. What do you think? We take a commercial break, and we'll be right back. I'm in. Count me in. I've got something special. I've got something from 1978 <laughs> here. So here we go. Can't wait. Can't wait. Beer makes it good. There's just one schlitz. There's no debate. Nothing else comes near. Beer makes it good. When you're out of schlitz, schlitz makes it great. You're out of beer. So when it comes to beer, why make it good? Schlitz makes it right. No other good. Schlitz makes it great. Nobody makes it like Schlitz. Every drop chill lagered for quality. 11 million times a day, America reaches for a Schlitz. Because since 1849, Schlitz makes it great. Beer makes it good. There's no debate. 
Beer makes it good. Spritz makes it great. So when it comes to beer, why make it good? Schlitz makes it like no other good. Schlitz makes it great. Well, for this next part of our road trip, we're staying in London, but we're in 1978. And we're talking about one of your favorite artists and someone who I've really uh, actually come to love since we started doing this show. I didn't know a lot of her music, but Cynthia did actually. Cynthia was living in Europe uh, and Kate Bush was absolutely huge there. Yeah, much bigger than here. Yeah. So we're talking about Kate Bush and what did Kate do this week? She released her debut album called The Kick Inside which featured her first and so far only number one hit in England, Wuthering Heights, which was the first time a female singer-songwriter topped the charts with a self-penned song. Tony, you put that in the notes. And uh, she was only 19 at the time. Yeah, isn't that incredible? So 1978, February 17th. And, you know, you look back, and what are the odds, really? Let's be honest. What are the odds that anyone would have thought that a song like Wuthering Heights would have made number one. It is a great song. Oh, it's a fantastic (laughs) song. And, you know, she's 19 years old, but look who she's got playing guitar. She's got David Gilmore on guitar. Yeah, he was was pivotal in getting her a record contract with EMI because they had, the family had a friend named Ricky Hopper and he was trying to shop around the tapes and he played them for his good friend, David Gilmore. Um, you know, of course, of Pink Floyd folks. And he loved her. He loved her voice. And he loved, you know, he agreed to meet with the family. And he pushed EMI to, you know, well, first of all, he helped to do better demo tapes. And uh, he got her a deal with EMI Records. Yeah, and I think we're all glad that she did. I, I mean, I like I said, I've really come to like Kate Bush. And, oh. you know, she uh, just such a unique artist as well. I don't, there's nobody really like her at all. Now, she was nominated, she is nominated for this year's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction. I don't think she's going to get in. I don't think so either, but it is cool that she was nominated. But but she's an original, for sure. Yeah. And and it's a bit of a family thing, right? Because she comes from a family, and her brother plays on all of her albums, Patty. He plays, you know, pipes and drums. And, and her other brother, John, used to do all the photography. In fact, in, up to her last live album, he did the photography for that, too. So... It's a bit of a bit of a family affair. Yeah, very very cool. And 1978. Oh, and it made it to so what number three, right? Wuthering Heights in the UK. And, no, number one. Oh, it made it to number, number one. Yeah. Okay. The the album made it to number three though. Okay. Yeah, but that you know what a what a fantastic achievement for a 19 year old. Well, and as you say, I mean, how many songs do you know based on a book by Emily Bronte? <laughs> Although. Although she said that it was initially inspired by a television adaptation, but she read the novel to make sure she got the research right. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, I love I love the song Weathering Heights. I remember when it came out, it was her voice. It was the most unique voice I'd ever heard because it was so high, but yet really pleasing, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. Well, Cynthia uh, spent her, like did most of her high school in Germany. Uh, she was over there and, uh, you know, her, she knew all about Kate Bush long before I did, actually. So she had massive amounts of hits in Germany, France, in the UK. She's huge in Europe. I mean, her, all of her albums are top ten albums. Uh, her her concerts, which she did a few years back at the O2, sold out what in five minutes? Oh I mean, yeah, just it was, gone. It was nuts. You yeah. know, 
she, she's huge. Now, I do have one question, though. I, you said mm. she was popular in Germany, but was she as popular as David Hasselhoff in Germany? No. No one's as, ho- as popular as the Hoff. Um, <laughs> that is the oddest thing, isn't it? <laughs> no. You want to see something really odd? I'll send you a link. New Order were forced to do a video where they put a song called Regret. And they did, <laughs> I can't stand this laughing. They did it on the beach in California, and they had the cast of Baywatch. Okay. So during the video, you get to see David Hasselhoff looking very serious, making sure that New Order are safe and they don't get swallowed up by the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> New Order hated that. <laughs> but I'll bet you that song did well in Germany, right? So it did number one. Yeah. <laughs> He looks weird now. I saw him in a TV commercial. I don't know. Is he a cartoon? <laughs> Sorry. Well, you know, he's kind of pulling a William Shatner, isn't he, where he's now his whole job is just being the Hoff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember that clip that came out where he was really drunk? Uh, and he was being verbally abusive about a hamburger to his wife? It's no. One of the, it's no, not funny. It's no. not funny, but it's it's kind of like another guy we're going to talk about today named Ozzy. It's, it's funny. It's uncomfortable, but mm-hmm. there's an element of humor. The tomato not fitting on quite right. It's almost spinal top. Oh, you know when they gosh, couldn't get yeah. the sandwiches done right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, poor Kate. No, Kate's Kate Kate's huge in Europe and still is, and uh, very highly respected. And uh, I mean, she's bigger in Canada than she is in the U.S. Yeah. I mean, you go to the U.S. and mention Kate Bush, and they look at you like you're, what are you talking about? But uh, I love Kate. Love her. Love her. Love her. Now, you were just speaking about the U.S., though. Are, did you pick the U.S. or you picked the U.K., right? The top five in the U.K.? Well, I did this for you because I know you love the fact that the U.K. charts are so bizarre. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> well, you look at this chart. This is the top five uh, in 1978. Number five being, okay, Donna Summer and Greatest Hits, of course. Number four is Andy Williams' Reflections. Oh, wow. I don't know. Yeah. Number three is Andrew Lloyd Webber variations. Now, I can guarantee you there is no Andrew Lloyd Webber in my record collection. I'm just saying. <laughs> Not even Aspects of Love? Or... <laughs> <laughs> no, what's that one? What's the one with the roller skates? Oh, I don't uh, know. Starline Express or something? Oh, no. <laughs> I bet you this is in your collection. Fleetwood Mac Rumors is number two. Absolutely. And number one, a band that I thought Honestly, when they got back together again uh, this year, it was going to be monstrous. It wasn't as big as people thought. It's ABBA and their album called The Album. I was surprised. I thought people were going to go nuts with a new ABBA song, a new ABBA album, and it just kind of fizzled out. Yeah, I was a little surprised by that too, you know. Now, speaking of fizzling, I guess you could call this <laughs> one word for it. But Is uh, that the word you're going to use, fizzle? Oh, yeah, we'll say fizzle. Uh, we're going to remember the Alamo in a second because we've got to go February 19th. How was that for a segue, by the way? That was pretty it's, good. Well, I, was, I, I got another one. Oh, what's it that? It has nothing to do with the chubby checker either. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to go February 19th. 1982 to check in on our good friend Ozzy Osbourne. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm always ready to talk Ozzy. Let's see what he was up to. See, so, you know, I don't think that they intended the phrase remember the Alamo to be talking about 
what happened on February 19th, 1982. And even for Aussie, this, this I think, might set a new low, don't you think? Uh, or high. Um, <laughs> <laughs> depending on which aspect you're looking at, but yes, I think so too, yes. Oh, this is the... Like, you can't make this stuff up, folks. Like, really. I wish you could, right? You yeah. make a million dollars. So, February 19th, 1982. Ozzy Osbourne is arrested in San Antonio, Texas for urinating on the cenotaph at the Alamo. And, of course, it honors the Alamo defenders. Uh, but that's not all. Um, <laughs> no. Ozzy was wearing a dress at the time of his arrest because his wife, Sharon... Sharon! I, I see. I gave you a little space there. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. So Sharon hid all of his clothes so that he couldn't go outside. But Ozzy had the last laugh and put on one of her dresses and went outside and got caught peeing on the cenotaph at the Alamo. So, of course, Ozzy was banned from ever playing in San Antonio, Texas again. But uh, they changed their mind, actually. Ten years later, I guess they the ten year, you know, anniversary. They decided, no, you're back. You're allowed back in. But what came next? This is again. This is classic Aussie. What, what what did he say his next goal was after this? Well, I think it's a goal that several people, you know, that four years ago wanted to do. Was his next goal was to urinate on the White House lawn. <laughs> oh, oh, Aussie. And yeah. the sad thing is. This is not the first time that he's done something like this. In his autobiography, he said that in 1981, he was at a meeting. He was invited to a meeting at CBS Europe in Germany. I don't hope, I hope Cynthia wasn't there. Um, he was drunk. He decides to lighten the mood by, he does a strip tease on the table, then kisses the record executive on the lips. However, his wife Sharon said he actually performed a goose step uh, up and down the table, which I could see, and then he urinated in the executive's <laughs> wine. But Ozzy's too drunk to remember. Oh, my gosh. So, you know, uh, this this episode, eh? We were talking about chubby checkers and peeing and I don't know. <laughs> I know. We're going to the toilet. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, you know, even his band was amazed how much this man's consumed in drugs and alcohol for most of his adult life. I mean, he's... Uh, you want to read his comment? I, th- I think it's a great, I mean, you censor yourself, of course, but I think it's a great comment. Yeah, let me just find the comment here. Um, I'll, I'll, so he says, this is in, uh, he admitted to sounds, uh, that's a magazine. Yeah, that's what, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he says, I get high, I get bleeped up. What the hell's wrong? Getting bleeped up. There must be something wrong with the system. If so many people have to get bleeped up, I never take dope or anything before I go on stage. I smoke a joint or whatever afterwards. So that's that's Ozzy talking about his uh, about his habits. But the, the guitarist of Black Sabbath, Tony Iommi, Tony Iommi says, you know, there the whole band was involved with drugs and alcohol, but Ozzy had the unhealthiest lifestyle of them all. And he'll, you know what, you know what's scary is he'll probably outlive them all too, right? So, well, he looks good. You know that show. Um, the Osborns want to believe, which he does, Sharon and Ozzy and their son Jack. He looks better nowadays. He, I mean, he's been sober since 20, I think he's been sober for a few years now, about seven years. So he's he's obviously cleaned up. He looks like a grumpy old man now, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Although he's touring, he's touring in Europe. So who knows? Well, you know what, though? It's great that he's cleaned up, isn't it? I mean, we laugh about it, but 
you know, it's not a, a being, a, you know, alcoholism or drug abuse is never a laughing matter, really. And, and uh, very happy for him that he has cleaned up. Yeah, because, you know, Tony, you and I lost a friend due to drug and alcohol just yeah. recently. And we, and we dedicate this show to Walter DeBar, who, who was on our other show that you had, that we had. And unfortunately, Walter lost his battle with um, his addictions and demons, and uh, we lost a great artist. So we, we sure did, and he was only forty-two. And uh, Aaron, mm. when you called me that night, I, I, what a shock! I, I yeah couldn't believe it. And uh, I know way I too know. early. And hey, you're right, what an artist he was, and and uh, seemed to have such a bright future ahead of him. You know. Mm-hmm. And so we, you know, Tony and I dedicate this to to Walter's memory because he was a. And you know what, folks. Go and check out some Walter DeBar. He's worth. He's much. He's very well worth checking out. His music's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. I I concur. Now, what uh, what did you do for charts this week? Well, <laughs> I went with. We're talking rock, so I thought we'd do the top. Now, here's the thing, Tony. And the Billboard charts. There's the top albums, but there's also a very specific chart called the rock albums. So I did the top five rock albums of the state, and number five. Ghost in the Machine by The Police. Number four, Lover Boy, Canadian band, Get Lucky. Mm-hmm. They did get lucky. Oh, yeah. Number they three, ever? oh, they sure did. Number three was ACDC. For those about to rock, we salute you. Number two, an album I just, I when I did this chart, I actually dug it up and listened to it again. It's quite a good album. Mm-hmm. The Cars Shake It Up. And number one, Jay Giles' band Freeze Frame. Um, but number 12, this is U.S. charts, folks. Number twelve is the rock charts. Bob and Doug McKenzie. Yeah, isn't know. that something? Eh? They, yeah, they had a lot of traction back then, didn't they? Well, the song "Take Off" featuring um, Geddy Lee. Yes, "Take Off to the Great White North." Yeah, yeah that's a great song. <laughs> Which was actually written, uh, co-written between Geddy Lee and Ian Thomas. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Dave's brother, who's a great Dave's brother, great artist himself. Yeah, yeah I love Ian Thomas. So I think do I. he's brilliant. So, so yeah, do I. he's awesome. Yeah. Now, so that was the rock charts. Now, speaking of great artists, we're going to go to our uh, Memphis to Merseyside moment, and we are going to check in on Mr. Elvis Aaron Presley because he had something significant happen on February 17th, 1960. So you ready to go check it out? I absolutely love it. All right, here we are. It is February the 17th, 1960, and Elvis Presley won his first gold record for his second studio album, which was called Elvis. It was also uh, they called Elvis number, number two, wasn't it? Elvis Presley number two, but I think Elvis mm-hmm. ended up being the final title. And it spent four weeks at number one on the Billboard uh, Top Pop Albums chart, and he was the first recording artist to have both albums go straight to number one in the same year. That's pretty incredible. I was surprised it took so long to go gold, though. I really, that that surprised me. Yeah, it surprised me, too, because it was released in October 56. So Yeah. And it went platinum on uh, August 10th, 2011. So See, that shocks me. <laughs> that shocks me, too, uh, to be honest. But um, interesting album because it is i listened to the album last night actually the whole album again and uh, it's a great album oh great it's album. fantastic and it's got such a great mix like there's there's country on there there's rockabilly on there there's a bit of gospely stuff on there it's elvis was a real 
uh, hybrid artist, you know? Well, I think that's what made him different. I think if you want to, if you want to find something that made Elvis different, there's many things, many, many things. But he, he wasn't afraid. I mean, he was also one of the, I think, I can't think of any rock artist before him who released religious albums. No, exactly. And you know, so he would do Christian albums. He would do his Christmas albums. He would do his rock. And, and I love I love his albums in the 50s. The first Elvis Presley album, Elvis. They're so good. Oh, they're fantastic. Now, I'm going to ring the little cool fact bell here because I, I remember when I mentioned this to you last night, you said you didn't know this. I didn't. And when you told me, I was, I was like, wow. Yeah. So here's the cool fact number four. I think it's four. Um, <laughs> so there is a lot of speculation and uh, that Elvis actually played the piano on that album on three tracks. Uh, Love Me, Old Shep, and How's the World Treating You? Uh, there's no credited piano player on the album. And in the RCA archives, there's no uh, no mention of who played piano. But uh, there, the thought is that Elvis played on those three songs. So very, very cool. But see, again, people forget that this guy could play an instrument. I mean, you remember watching that special, this comeback special. He played the guitar, and he played it well. Yep, exactly. And, and he, 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 he could play piano. In fact, the Million Dollar Quartet... He plays piano in that session, right? Yeah, for a good chunk of the session. So I thought, what a what a cool fact that is. And, uh, you know, I went back and listened to those three songs a second time uh, just to really zone in on the piano parts. And I just think it's very, very neat. I think he's I think he's one of those artists that, that the, the, the image sometimes gets in the way of just hearing his artistry. Like, I was watching a documentary this week on Michael Jackson, and they said, you know, sometimes what's thought, what the, the, the talk about him gets in the way of hearing his music. I think it's the same with Elvis. I think sometimes he's so massive and so otherworldly. Yeah. But when you just sit and listen to his, and you're playing, like my daughters didn't know much about Elvis, but they loved them. They yeah. love him, still do. They just well, love his music. Yeah, he's, he's a fantastic artist. And you know what, Aaron? This brings us to the end of the road trip this week, 43. I can't believe it, but... uh, We're getting close to that 52 number, my friend. Yeah, I can't wait. So, folks, thanks again uh, for allowing us into your headphones, and we really, really appreciate it. And hope you've enjoyed uh, some of the changes we've made to the show recently, because I know we do. And, uh, Aaron, I hope you have a fantastic week, and to everyone listening out there, have a great week also. We will see you soon. Thanks for listening to our road trip. The music was by Rick Denis. And if you're enjoying what you're hearing, be sure to click the follow or subscribe button in your favorite podcast player. That way you'll be the first to know whenever we release a new episode. How else can people help, Aaron? They can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and check out our website. And if you think we're worth the five stars, please leave us a review. Thanks for hitting the road with us today. And we'll see you again soon.